Since 2007, the Paul Meredith team at CityCan Financial has prided themselves on providing a better mortgage experience than you'll get anywhere else. Paul and his team will guide you through the home financing process with professional quality advice, exceptional service, and mortgage rates tailored to meet your specific needs. Their goal is to treat all of their clients the same way they would if they were doing a mortgage for their own mothers. They want to provide you with a wow experience with your mortgage from industry-leading low rates to giving their clients the rock star treatment. The Paul Meredith team would love to have the opportunity to help you out on your next mortgage and show you why they have over 300 five-star reviews on Google. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Now, here are Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door and Stefania Secha from the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness with today's guest. Hey, Steph. How's it going? I am as good as can be. How are you doing? I'm good. I think you're going to be really pumped uh, for today's guest on the way home. Yeah, I am extremely pumped. Uh, our next guest definitely got me through some hard times growing up. Uh, I am such a huge fan. Uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about who exactly our next guest is? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to, when you're looking at a guest with this much talent, you're thinking, is there anything she can't do? Uh, you know, she's a performer in music, TV, film, dance. And of course, most importantly for this, podcast is a tireless uh, advocate and humanitarian humanitarian um mm -hmm. and you know over two decades um she has been and i want to find out more about this a straight a straight edge and vegan not utilizing alcohol meat dairy poultry or sea life and her quote is hey i just want to live by example uh this states and encourage everyone to live compassionately and more fully in happiness. And along the way, she's overcome so many different things. She's a breast cancer survivor, uh, overcome kidney failure, heart surgery, divorce, and of course, very, very tough surviving as a woman in the entertainment industry, which is brutal uh, for over 25 years. She is a Canadian icon. And of course, I'm talking about Biff Naked. Biff, welcome to the show. Very, very kind. Well, I'm fans, a fan of both of yours. So uh, it's a real privilege for me to be here. I was very, very excited to come on here and talk to you guys. Well, thank you so much. We are, like Michael said, just so, so excited. And I really meant it, like, or mean it. Um, huge fan of your music. You were uh, an inspiring, uh, pro are an inspiring performer. Um, definitely, like, as a teenage girl, like, low self-esteem, your music was, like, just, like, right when I needed you to show up. Um, awesome. Amazing. And I still listen to you to this day. Awesome. Love it. So, fantastic. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, fangirling over, now adulting. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, in, Michael touched on this in his introduction of you, but I mean, it's, it's really, you've just been on an incredible 
journey in your life. And uh, for those living under a rock, why don't you walk us through some some of it and, and tell us a little bit more about, about your life that people may not know about? Oh, well, you know, I always say that um, my life is like any other good Canadian kid, basically. Um, you know, for whatever reason, I had a, a teen mom uh, who had an unwanted pregnancy. So uh, she was in India at the time of her pregnancy with her parents who were working in India, like a lot of uh, Canadians and North Americans were doing in uh, the late 60s and early 70s. My parents uh, were there um, uh, as not as missionaries, but the United Methodist Church in Minnesota, if I can be really specific, sent them to Bareilly, India, um, so that my dad could fix teeth, basically. He was a dentist. Uh, but my parents were very active in uh, social justice movements in the States. And, um, you know, my dad was a huge uh, supporter of Dr. King and was in the march in Alabama. Uh, Selma, Alabama was in the march in Washington. And my parents have always been those, um, you know, uh, bleeding heart socialists and social justice advocates. Um, and they really instilled that in their three daughters. So my older sister was adopted the year before I was also in India. We moved back to the US uh, when we were kids, moved to Canada, moved back to Kentucky of all places, moved back to uh, Manitoba where I wound up finishing school, high school, went to university, dropped out of course to join a punk rock band. Um, and you know, that was, really a great platform for me as a as a you know adolescent melodramatic poet um you know it was the perfect place for me to put my lyrics and um you didn't have to be the best singer uh really to be in a punk rock band and, and some of our first shows were playing with bands like doa you know and um joe keachley who's who is uh into politics now but you know the the, the lyrics for all these punk uh bands and punk music historically has always been uh, for social justice and for the little guy, basically, um, fighting oppression and speaking out against it. And it was really a good fit for me. Uh, I found my calling when it came to being a performer and it was just a really natural fit. So that's all I did as an adult. I've never really had another job, uh, except I was a dishwasher. Um, at one time when we were trying to get off welfare because we were poor punk rock kids. Um, and yes, I have experienced uh, being on social assistance in my early 20s. I have experienced, um, you know, using drugs and using street drugs and getting off street drugs when I was a young person. Quitting alcohol for me was a decision that was easy to make as the touring and the performing started to, um, uh, basically take over my life. I knew that if I consume alcohol, I talk too much, I laugh too loud, and I put myself at risk and in harm's way because my judgment is impaired. Basically, it was really pragmatic thinking for me. And at the time, um, when I was a young performer, there were a lot of bands that were uh, Hare Krishna um, devotees. So the, a whole movement of music called the Krishna Punks uh, movement and also... Um, straight edge lifestyles uh, was something that was prevalent in the punk rock community and straight edge bands uh, did not um, impair their thinking basically was uh, you know they didn't they didn't do anything that was harming 
to their to their bodies like alcohol or smoking or drugs and for me that was a good fit and it, it kept me um, really focused on what I needed to do and as a female I never wanted to let my guard down ever. And I never wanted to give the wrong impression. And I always wanted to be a professional. It was very important to me because I knew that my gender was gonna, you know, uh, betray me basically um, uh, in that field. And it still does to a point. And I, I never take it personally ever. I, and uh, as I become older and, and become an aging uh, female, if, if all the Gen X, listeners can forgive me for saying that because guess what we're all getting old now um you know i i think it's more important than ever uh, as a female to really really be deliberate about what i'm saying and, and what i'm doing in the world um you know when i say live by example i don't really uh, i don't mean that to sound um i don't know egotistical or, or pretentious or anything like that or condescending uh the truth is that it's hard enough being a person in the world today. And so many people are um, dealing with so much uh, that uh, we can't complain. If we have a platform, we have to. It is our responsibility to use it to highlight uh, the plight of other people, period, the end, to amplify voices for people who need their voices amplified, period, the end. Um, and that's something that, it, you know, I blame my parents, of course, uh, but also being a punk rocker. And that just kind of, that's just how it is. So all these years, I, I've been touring, you know, very, very lucky all over the world, you know, had to make my own record company because no labels would sign me because I was a, a tattooed, um, you know, woman trying to make music. And it was just, you know, for a variety of reasons, it was just a, a barrier in that genre of music. So we just formed our own company and licensed it, um, taking on all the risk and all the expense and just you know, being able to survive uh, has been its own victory. Uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, when I was 35 years old. And at the time, I think we were doing a martial arts TV show. We were touring in Europe and the US simultaneously. And I had just put out another record and I had just gotten married at that time for the second time because I'm an optimist, let's be honest. Um, and breast cancer was like, for me, I thought this is great because it's the only vacation I've ever had from touring. And that was a big aha moment because I thought my life must actually suck if I think breast cancer treatment is a vacation. Um, but what it really was, was an amazing journey and a lesson and a lesson and a lesson after lesson for me in the medical system in Canada and being able to um, see very clearly the tiered system that it is and you know cancer care was the um, I guess the first way I was introduced to it um, you know I'm a I'm a white person living in Vancouver going through cancer treatment that is a very that is a very lucky lucky thing uh, because I could get myself to my treatments. I could, you know, I didn't have to try and uh, get off work, but of course I was forced to still make a record during cancer treatment. That's a whole other story. Uh, but I met women who were going through cancer treatment when I was, who didn't have jobs, who had to take the bus 
uh, to their chemo appointment and back. Uh, and if they didn't have bus fare, they had to walk there. And when they couldn't walk there, they just didn't go and get treatment. And I met a lot of women who had so many barriers uh, to receiving treatment and to being able to get healthy and well, um, that it really opened my eyes. And uh, somehow I got involved with Raise the Rates in Vancouver, uh, which was a movement that was happening at that time, um, uh, primarily to raise awareness for the inadequacies of social assistance and, and funding and, and minimum wages and, and all these things. But what it did was it introduced me to an entire world of activists who are actively working for the people. And it was, it was amazing, you know, um, it was serendipitous to meet these people and to, to learn from them and to be able to um, just actually ha have an opportunity to stand up for, for people and stand with them. Um, it was incredible. I got through my cancer treatment remarkably and got out of my marriage thankfully, um, because cancer is the big reveal in life. It shows you who is the good people and who are not. Um, and then, you know, kept going and making records and touring. And uh, had, my kidney failed was a big accident. It was because of my, my heart. I had a hole in my heart and I uh, had that fixed and, uh, and went on tour, I think two weeks later again, and just trying to keep working as a living and working artist in Canada has been a challenge, but you know, the pandemic has amplified those challenges and really exacerbated all of the problems that already existed. Um, moving to Toronto has been an amazing opportunity for me, not as an artist, a, a working artist, because as everyone knows, COVID-19 ended almost all work for everybody mm -hmm. uh, who is in the arts, but here in Toronto, there is an entirely different set of circumstances affecting people. And it's a different community and there are different um, issues and people have different barriers. Um, it's been so interesting, really. And being able to, to meet folks like you and uh, of course, Dr. Nahid Dosani at um, Journey Home Hospice uh, that opened in 2018, for me was like, this is, this is where I want to kind of focus, you know, my, I don't know, my, my gaze. I, I wanna really learn about what can be done, what I can do, just as, a, just as a civilian, you know, with no formal education, what can I do to get involved and to try and help? So that's, that's my long-winded story in a nutshell to hear, <laughs> to hear, to hear, to hear today. Well, no, it's so great. And I just think that, you know, from, from that, you know, we can hear, um, you know, the compassion that you have for others and, you know, um, the courage that you have for, to, 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 you know, not just survive, but thrive the things that you've experienced in your life. And I'm just curious, like that courage and that compassion in your life, where, where do you think that comes from for you? What's your sort of motivation for that? Well, I think that like for anyone who is working, um, I guess, on behalf of others um, or for others. I think that sometimes I think that I missed my calling. I think that I dropped out of med school. I didn't, you know, I didn't do all the things that I could have done with my life. I think all of us think that no matter what job we're in, including mine, which is a, as a performer or as a professional loudmouth, as I call it, 
Um, but you know, I do think ahead and think, how can I, again, as a civilian, how can I, you know, help other people? And it's not because, it's really not because I feel like, oh, I can, I can be helpful or anything like that. It's because there's a need. There's really such a massive need um, in our world, in, in our own communities. I mean, that, that's not being met, you know? And how do, how do we lobby for that? How can, we, how can we work towards that? And that's something that I'm always gonna be on a journey uh, trying to discover. And, uh, and I think every year is different and, and through lots of different ways, we wind up meeting like-minded people. Uh, like being able to meet you guys today. I mean, it's just, you know, when you meet people who have this same passion uh, for, um, for helping, you know, that's like the saying, find the helpers. And it's really true. And I think that I just, I just, I've always been the class clown and I've always been an overcompensator. I blame my mother, uh, who is the salt of the earth, kindest, sweetest little woman. Uh, but I just think that you know, as we go through life, you know, knowing what's important is easy. It's actually very easy uh, to see what is actually important in life. And really, truly, it has nothing to do with our own life and it has everything to do with everyone else. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Wow. You know, Biff, I do want to tell you something. Um, I, as well, started as a dishwasher. That was uh, at Mother's Pizza. Now, I tell you, that, I keep that on my uh, my LinkedIn page because I'm very proud of that because I think that I always remember back to those times when uh, in that tiered kind of restaurant who was important and who was not. Uh, yes. Dishwashers were lowest of the low. That's right. right? I, I can still smell the dish when I go in a restaurant. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, the, rag, the rag, the mold. Yes, it's just yeah, it's just that the, there's a certain smell there, and you know, it, it makes me think about in your industry um, and with the career you have and continue to have. It, how do you stay so humble? You're a humble advocate for for our most vulnerable, uh, homelessness and other causes. What has kept you so humble over the years in an industry that's not really known for its humbleness? You know, honestly, I have not actually met too many people who are, you know, full of themselves, actually. And I think partly that might be because I never really got in the mix, you know, as a, as the straight edge kid on the tour bus, I didn't party with the other bands. So I wouldn't have had the opportunity uh, to meet, you know, the, the idiots and, and the egomaniacs, you know, I was never, I never met them. Um, all of the successful musicians uh, actors and artists that I've ever met have always been really down to earth and, uh, and really just very realistic and, and practical and pragmatic and nice people, really. I mean, if you, uh, you know, who's an example? Metallica, you know, 
those guys are really, really nice. They're really polite, really nice people. And you can meet, you know, other bands that are what we call mid-level uh, touring bands that you may not tour that are just like, they're incorrigible. And you just think to yourself and you observe that and go, wow, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that's true in the corporate world also uh, where there's lots of different personalities and stuff. But, you know, for, I think it's been pretty easy in punk rock and, and coming up the way that we did, we all slept in the van, we split burritos, you know, um, and, and we were grateful to get paid in beer. You know, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have tour buses for the first like 15 years that we toured, you know, it wasn't like that at all. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that beginning and, and those roots. And it, as today, as an adult, I try and manage other artists and tour manage. And I know because I came from all these things, I know the problems and, and different issues that arise on a show day uh, with promoters, whatever the case, or with other band members, whatever it is. You know, and it made it made me the tour mom I am today, uh, to have that lived experience, and I think that's always the key. And same with breast cancer. As I move forward, and uh, you know, have the opportunities to keep doing peer-to-peer -peer volunteering or anything like that, having the lived experience uh, is what helps inform what I. Uh, want to do or how I'm trying to be. And I think the same is true when you look at, um, say, for example, uh, mental health or addictions services, there are a lot of former addicts that become counselors and become volunteers because they have that lived experience. They can relate and there's no one better um, to be able to do that support work. Absolutely. We, we always need the voices, even more so uh, mm -hmm. today, of, of lived experts. You, you talked about the pandemic and why the pandemic's been really hard on all of us. It's been the hardest on our most vulnerable. Yes. But from a positive sense, what do you, what do you think are some of the, the learnings that uh, we, can, we can gather from the pandemic so we don't uh, make the same mistakes and we, we move forward rather than back? I don't really know. You know, like I think... Like, for example, it's really, you know, when you think about stuff that uh, you can look at a PD, um, epidemics, for example, or pandemics. And so the, the biggest problem has been trying to contain it in shared spaces. And this is why it's been such an insurmountable problem for so much of the shelter system. And, you know, people don't understand. And when I say people, I mean say people in, I don't know, my mother's generation, for example, or, or people who are um, just have not been aware of it. I don't want to, you know, tisk tisk anybody, but there are a lot of people who don't understand, for example, encampments or tent cities. And it's like, well, you know, the shell, they can't go to the shelter. Where are they supposed to go? You know, and I've asked this question, uh, in a lot of different situations and people have never thought about it before or they just have no solution or they dismiss the conversation completely because they know darn well uh, that they don't know what they're talking about or they're not being compassionate or they're not being thoughtful. Um, I am hoping that what the 
rest of the world, and when I say world, I mean our Canadian communities, because this is where I live, um, I hope that people can glean a lot from this experience, this last entire year. Uh, I hope they glean a lot uh, about our society and where the shortcomings are, uh, not just from the government and funding, but I mean in general, in our day-to-day -day thoughtfulness, like why, why are you not thinking about this? Do you have a Costco card? Really? Like, do you understand what a privilege that is? Like, who has the space to buy all that stuff? Well, if you do, can you buy, can you actually, while you're there, can you just buy water, buy extra water, keep it in your car, hand it out, you know, anything like, can't you just buy extra cat litter, take it to the shelter, like just little things that can become habits, things that people don't think about, you know, it's not just about, um, it's not just about writing checks all the time, sometimes for people to really get the idea of being compassionate in their community, think about the ways, what can you actually, what can you physically actually do? What can you do? Can you do something? Yes, you can. What is it? And, and once people start to develop that habit, it's almost like seeing with, seeing the world with a different lens. Um, I think it can happen. I really do. And I'm hoping that there are those takeaways. I mean, there are a lot of issues. Um, you know, there are so many things that have become so glaringly obvious to a lot of us who already have that lens. I mean, you can look at, for example, uh, incarcerated uh, people and, uh, and the problems that they're having trying to contain COVID, among other things. And um, I mean, that's a massive issue. And there's a, a huge section of our society who really have blinders on and don't really want to know about it. And I just say, how can you not want to know about this or, or whatever it is? And, and the same goes for the encampments and the tent cities. Um, you know, people think that people think that it's a choice and it's not a choice. You know, homelessness can happen to anybody at any time. And people don't realize that. And perhaps the pandemic and it has made it more obvious to every single person in society who suddenly realizes everybody, regardless of their tax bracket, everybody's living check to check. And anything that breaks that chain or one check goes missing, there's, you're in trouble and your family's in trouble. So just imagine how easy it is to lose your car, lose your house, lose your job. What are you going to do? You know, are you going to live in your car? And then when they tow your car, where do you go? You know, it's like you go down the chain and try and explain to people, this is how easy it is to become houseless, to become, you know, homeless. Sometimes homelessness is temporary for people. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, you know, these are, these are things that we can find some solutions for if we all work together. And if the government comes on board and, and uh, you, you don't want a job in the government. I mean, of course, it's huge pressure. And there's polls from every single section that want funding. Totally, I get it. However, there's so much more that can be done uh, if there are just a few more compassionate people elected. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I think um, 
I think your answer had some really, really great universal truths and messaging for sort of that public at large, sort of those folks who maybe aren't as involved in the sector who weren't really aware of the issues, but now this pandemic um, has really stopped folks in a way in their tracks that nothing in recent memory has before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, many of our listeners, when we think about this podcast and, and who's going to be listening to it are folks who are working on the front lines with people experiencing homelessness. And of course, that includes peer workers, people with their own uh, lived experience. If, if you could leave a thought or two to inspire them, you know, what would you like to say? I would just, I mean, honestly, I always get super emotional uh, because it just, it kills me because I, I can't imagine how hard it is. It's exhausting work um, emotionally. Of course it is. And it's, um, it's frustrating, I'm sure. And it just seems like, you know, it, it's, it's almost isolating in, in a way. And I feel so deeply for everyone who is working tirelessly, so compassionately. And there are so many, there are just so many hardships for people, but also the people who are working on behalf of those people, you also have to go home and, uh, and take care of your family, or you have kids or you have pets that need walking, even though you just put in an 18 hour day. Um, And you're experiencing your own losses at work, or frustrations, or, I mean, it's exhausting, I'm sure. And I just, all I can say is, you're amazing. And I'm so grateful uh, that, that you are driven to do the work that you're doing and that you're called to this work because you have a gift. There is a certain gift that people who are working on the front lines have. Don't let anyone tell you differently. It is a gift and not everyone can do it. It's almost like a superpower really and truly to have that compassion and that drive uh, to help others. It is a, absolutely a superpower. And uh, I just, I have to say thank you. I'm personally so grateful uh, to you for all the work that you're doing. And um, please don't stop. You're so needed and so valued. And what are we going to do without you? Uh, so thank you. <laughs> amazing. Just superheroes, like amazing. Well, Biff, on that theme of gratitude, we are so grateful for you to be an advocate, to use your platform, as you talked about, to bring awareness to homelessness and all sorts of other causes uh, for, for your work in thanking people working on the front lines during the pandemic. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. We need the support uh, of so many, and it's so great to be able to count on you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. I was very excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you for being a loud maker. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, what a, what a guest, you know, I often say uh, it starts with kindness and I don't think I met anyone who embodies that as much as uh, Biff Naked. It starts with kindness. It starts with her Um, just an amazing advocate and human being. Mm-hmm. And she's been such a great supporter for the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness as well. She's been in a few of our Recovery for All videos now, and um, it's just been such a gift to uh, share a platform with her and to hear more from her and and share her uh, with our listeners. I really hope they um, took as much away from it as I did. Absolutely. Another great show, another great guest. Steph, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to talking to you in the next one. 
Absolutely. See you then. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. A quick reminder to subscribe to the show on any platform you're listening. And if you'd like to find out more about Blue Door, visit bluedoor.ca. To get more information about the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, go to caeh.ca. See you next time. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.